0: Justification is the legal declaration that we are righteous before God as judge with respect to the demands of his law. Adoption is a legal declaration that we who have been justified by the judge are now members of the judge's family by his grace.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Why is it so important for every believer to understand the connection between Jesus Christ and our spiritual DNA, our spiritual adoption? Hello, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom Pennington continues our current series with Part 5 of The Christian's DNA – The Bible teaches that the doctrine of adoption is a legal declaration that takes place at the moment of salvation, when God places every Christian into his family. For you and me, as Christians, that means we enjoy and experience the full rights and privileges as sons and daughters of our new Heavenly Father and his kingdom. Believer, have you ever thought about that? Because of God's rich and boundless grace, he found joy and delight into adopting us into his family, while we actually deserve exactly the opposite. As Tom will unfold in today's message, this is just another example of the great love with which God has loved his people. Let's join Tom now as he begins today's study here on The Word Unleashed.
0: The primary background for the New Testament concept of adoption actually comes from adoption that was practiced in ancient Rome. It usually involved youth and adults, not typically infants. The process included two crucial steps. First of all, there was the legal termination of all social and legal connection to the person's birth family. The second step then, having severed those connections, was the legal declaration that the one being adopted was now a permanent member of the new family. In in ancient Rome, seven witnesses were required to observe the adoption itself so that they could testify after the father's death that he had in fact adopted this as his child. Once adoption was complete, The birth father had no authority over his former child at all. All former financial obligations were canceled. And from the moment of adoption, the new father had full authority and complete responsibility for the adopted child's care. And here was the most important element, and this comes to the core of our adoption, in Roman law, the adopted child had all the same rights and privileges as the child who was born into the family. The most powerful illustration of that in in the history of Rome was an adoption. Julius Caesar adopted Gaius Octavius, the greatest ruler of Rome that ever was, and as his heir, he had a, as the heir of Julius Caesar, the man who became known as Caesar Augustus, had every right to the throne, although he was not born into the family. And he ruled Rome as its emperor because he had been adopted and therefore had all the same rights and privileges as if he had been born into the family. John wants us to understand that that is exactly what has happened to us spiritually. God has adopted us. Now, just to remind you of uh, the context where this comes up, we have just begun the second cycle or movement of the three tests of eternal life. John begins the second movement with the test of obedience. In the section we're looking at, we learned that our relationship to sin and righteousness shows our real birth. Look at how you connect and relate to sin and how you relate to righteousness, and when you look at that picture, you will know whether you are dead in sin still, the state in which you were born and I was born, or whether you have in fact been born of God. It's the message of chapter 2, verse 28, through chapter 3, verse 3. Let's read it again together. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 28, "'Now little children,' Abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He, that is the Father, is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as He is pure. This paragraph teaches us that a true Christian has been born of God and will therefore be like his father, like father, like child. If we've been born of God, we have his spiritual DNA just as surely as we have our human parents' physical DNA. And if we have our father's DNA, then his character and his conduct will be reflected in our own. In this passage, John is focusing on the new birth, and he gives us several crucial insights into the new birth, into being born of God. First of all, we've learned that if we've been born of God, our new birth will be certified at Jesus' revelation. That's verse 28. When Jesus comes, it will be clear that we have been in fact born of God. Secondly, we learned that our new birth is confirmed now by our actions. We don't have to wait till then. Look at how you live. How you live reflects your true Father. If you have the Heavenly Father's DNA, that will imprint itself on your character and your conduct. Thirdly, we learned that our new birth is followed by our adoption. That's the message of chapter 3, verse 1. Now, last week we began to consider this, and and we just learned last week the reason for our adoption. And that is, it's the love that the Father has bestowed on us. And we looked at the nature of that love that would move God to adopt us as His own children. But that's what stands behind our adoption. Now, today. I want us to move to the next expression in verse 1, and that is the reality of our adoption. We've seen the reason, but now we see the reality. Look at verse 1 again. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Here it is. In order that we would be called children of God. John's point is this. Here's how great a love the Father has given to us. It's so great that He calls us His children. Now, the Greek word for called here means to identify someone by either a name or by an attribute. That's the idea here. The point is, if God calls us His children, it means we are His children. We actually have that quality God has truly, really adopted us as His own children. We look around us and we see human adoptions often, but understand that human adoptions are faint echoes, mere copies of the real thing that's described in this text. John says God calls us, and that's, by the way, called means God calls us this. God calls us children of God children of God. Now John uses a different Greek word than he uses for Jesus. John uses he's very careful in his writings to use the Greek word son only for our Lord, God's only begotten son. John to make a point uses a different Greek word for us. It's techna. It's it's a word though that reminds us that we are in fact truly children of God. It's John's simple way to say that while we're not exactly like Jesus in the sense of we're not God's eternal sons and daughters, we are truly sons and daughters. He has become our Father. Now, that is pretty astounding when you think of what this says. We are called by God His children. When you remember what Scripture says that we are by nature, think about the expressions that are used of what we are by nature. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, we are called the sons of disobedience. In Ephesians 2, 3, we're called children of wrath, as if wrath was our middle name. It's so certainly a part of what we're going to experience. And then here in 1 John 3, verse 10, notice, we were by nature children of the devil, He says, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Everybody in this room is either a child of God or you are a child of the devil, and that's how everybody's born. So you're still like you were by nature, how you came out of the womb, a child of the devil, or you were a child of God. Jesus makes this very clear in John 8, 44. He says to those who were listening to him, who were not believers in him. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. There is the inscription that, that rests over every human being outside of Christ. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father is what you want to do. Until, Christian, you repented and believed in Jesus Christ, don't miss that. The devil was your father. But all of that changed at the moment of our salvation. God adopted us as His children. That's why J.I. Packer calls adoption, quote, the highest privilege that the gospel offers. You You ever consider that? The highest privilege the gospel offers is our adoption. John Murray says, it is the apex of grace and privilege and it staggers the imagination. Does it stagger yours? It should. John the Apostle writes, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. All true Christians have been adopted as God's children. That's what Romans 8, 14 says, all who are being led by the Spirit of God, that is, who are Christians, these are the sons of God. When you believed in Christ, God adopted you at that very moment. Galatians 3.26 says, you are all sons of God. How did that happen? Through faith in Jesus Christ. When you believed, you were adopted. But that brings us to the big question What does it mean to be adopted by God? This again, like regeneration, like we did a a couple of weeks ago, is such a huge and important theme, the highest privilege the gospel offers, and yet most Christians don't really understand what it means. And so I want this morning to to step away in the rest of our time together from 1 John and consider several crucial facts about the reality of our adoption because John's readers got it. He taught them. He had explained it to them. He had served among them for decades. They understood this, but many of us don't. And so let's let's step away and take a look at several crucial facts about the reality of our adoption by God. I want to begin with the background just so you understand where this comes from. In the Old Testament, there were only a few recorded examples of individuals being adopted. The most famous of those examples are Moses, who was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, probably Hapshepsut, one of the one of the most powerful women in Egyptian history. And the other is Esther, who was adopted by Mordecai, actually her older cousin. This concept occurs most often in the Old Testament, not with reference to the adoption of individuals, but with reference to God's adoption of the nation Israel as a people. Sometimes the Old Testament describes Israel as God's son. For example, Exodus chapter 4 verse 22, you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. At other times, God is called the father of Israel. Sometimes by Israel, in Isaiah 63, 16, you are our father, though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not recognize us, you, O Yahweh, are our father. Other times God Himself says this, Jeremiah 31, 9, I am a father to Israel. But here's something interesting to note. Rarely in the Old Testament is God called the father of individual believers. In fact, you can scour the Old Testament, and there are only a couple of examples. The most famous would be that of Solomon in 1 Chronicles 17, 13 God says this, I will be his father and he shall be my son, and I will not take my steadfast love away from him as I took it from him who was before you. He's talking to David and he's talking about Saul. So, rarely in the Old Testament do you see individual adoption. So, I I hope you can see from just that brief survey that the New Testament concept of adoption of individuals primarily flows not from the Old Testament, but rather from first-century Roman adoption, as I said a few minutes ago. That's the model that's in the mind of the apostle, but of course, ultimately, that is mere, a mere reflection and echo of God's eternal plan to adopt us as His own. Now, before we get any further into our adoption, let me make sure that you understand the differences the differences between regeneration, the new birth that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and our spiritual adoption. Understand this, regeneration and adoption are not the same thing. And let me give you several ways it's clear in Scripture they're not. First of all, regeneration precedes faith. According to 1 John 5, 1, you are born of God, and out of the new birth, you're given the capacity to believe, and you believe. It all happens in a moment, but biblically, logically, regeneration comes before faith. On the other hand, adoption follows faith. 1 John 1.12 says, to those who believed, He gave the right to become the sons of God, the children of God. A second difference is that regeneration is by the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John 3, talking to Nicodemus, says this new birth is by the Spirit of God. On the other hand, adoption is by the Father. Ephesians 1 says, in love the Father predestined us to adoption. Thirdly, regeneration is a moral change in us. We looked at Ezekiel 36 a couple of weeks ago. It is a change that God produces in us. On the other hand, adoption is a legal declaration about us. John 1, 12, to those who believe, to them He gave the right, the legal right and authority to become His children. Number four, in regeneration, the means of accomplishing it is the Word of God. You've been born again, James 1 says, by the Word of God. In adoption, the means is faith, as I, as I just quoted a moment ago from John 1.12. So understand these are two different realities. They both happen at the moment of salvation, but logically regeneration comes first. Then you are given repentance and faith. You repent and you believe. You are justified, and all those who are justified are in that same moment adopted by God. So what does it mean? Let's look at the definition of adoption. Now as I so often do, and I'm sometimes uh, lightly made fun of for, let me start with it does not mean that we become sons in exactly the same way that Christ is. In the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, Jesus is called God's only begotten Son. The Greek word is monogenes. It literally means one-of-a-kind, unique. Christ is God's one-of-a-kind Son. He's the only Son of God by nature. He is eternally the Son of God. In our adoption, we are granted the full legal rights and privileges of sonship in a family that we did not belong to by nature, as Jesus certainly did. He was eternally the Son of God. So what is then our adoption? Let me give you a definition from um, biblical doctrine, systematic theology put together by the faculty of the Master Seminary. This is a great definition. In adoption, God legally places regenerated and justified sinners into His family so that they become sons and daughters of God and thus enjoy all the rights and privileges of one who is a member of God's eternal family. No wonder Packer calls it the highest privilege of the gospel. Justification is the legal declaration that we are righteous before God as judge with respect to the demands of His law. Adoption is a legal declaration that we who have been justified by the judge, are now members of the judge's family by His grace. That's what adoption is. Now let's look at several other important facts about our adoption. We've already touched on this, but I'll just bring it out again. The ultimate cause of our adoption is the love and grace of the Father. Go back and look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 Verse 4, just as He, that is the Father, chose us, selected us out of a larger group is the meaning of the word, in Christ, He chose us in Christ, and He did so before the foundation of the world. That means what His choice wasn't based on anything in us. And He chose us in order that we would be holy and blameless before Him. He wanted us to be like His Son. And He chose us because in love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself. The Father is the ultimate cause. And the ultimate cause of the Father moving to do this, look at the end of verse 4, is His love. He set his love on you, Christian. In eternity past, for nothing in you, he decided to love you. And he decided to adopt you as his own child. It was driven by his love. But also, notice verse 6, before this, this whole sentence is ended, he says, and this adoption as sons was intended to the praise of the glory of what? His grace. Here's the other prevailing cause of your adoption. It was the love of God, and it was the grace of God. The fact that there is in God, as you've heard me define it so many times, there is in God this quality that permeates His entire being, that is who He is, that finds joy and delight in doing good to those who deserve exactly the opposite. That's what moved God to adopt you. What means... By what means did the Father make adoption possible? How could we who were His enemies, we who were completely the opposite of everything that God is, how could we become His children? And the way He accomplished this, the means that He used to get to our adoption was the death of His Son. Turn to the book of Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. But when the fullness of the time came, in other words, when everything in human history and in God's eternal plan was just right, God sent forth His His one-of-a-kind Son, His unique Son, born of a woman, that is, He had to be to save us, He had to be like us to stand in our place, and He was born under the law, that is, under the responsibility to keep God's law, which of course He did perfectly, which earned Him the qualification to stand in our place.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part five of his series, The Christian's DNA. Tom will have part six next time, and we hope you'll join us then. In a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit the org, where you'll find other resources, including additional series from The Word Unleashed. That's the org.